What is it in your life that feels like it's never going to end? Is it the holidays? Kids out of school? Is it diapers? Housework? Is it bills? Is it the stress of being in a demanding job? Whatever it is that feels like it's never going to end, I have good news for you today. It is. We're here gathered for worship to remember what is true. And this is true. I'm going to read a portion of scripture. I'm actually preaching on it later, but I'm just going to read one line. And I want us to hold this in mind all morning as we worship. Love never ends. Good morning. I'm Tom Hart, and I'm a pastor with Reformed University Fellowship down the road at ECU. And uh, I'm so glad to be here with you all this morning. Pastor Dave handed me the job of as we say in the business, landing the plane on the sermon series uh, that we went through in 2018. We spent the year reflecting on this idea of pursuing our first love. And uh, as we come to the end of this, uh, this chapter, John Paul preached on the first part of this chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, last week, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring us home and wrap up this year with a word from God. And this is good news. I ask that you would listen to it and try to believe it, even, even as I read it, because it is absolutely true. It's from God. And it was given for us, his people. Listen to this. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Please pray with me. Lord, you've been good to us. You've been good to reveal yourself to us. We sit this morning uh, under your word, which you have revealed that we might know you, that we might believe in you, 
that we might hope in you. And above all, that we might love you. We pray, Lord, as we think about this passage through the rest of this worship service, that you would draw our hearts to you, that you would help us to believe, that you would help us to know, that you would help us to love. For the sake of Christ, we pray this in his name. Amen. I was listening to the radio uh, a couple months back. Don't know what I was listening to exactly, but uh, I remember this, uh, this person was on the radio talking about roads. Don't know why I stopped to listen, but something about it caught my attention. And this guy, he was a representative from Pitt County or Greenville, uh, maybe in the DOT, Department of Transportation, something like that. And he was talking about the roads in Pitt County. And uh, th- this guy was interviewing him and asking him why our roads are so bad. And the guy was explaining that roads in, uh, in eastern North Carolina crumble because of what they're built on. He said, in the western part of our state, you build a road and it lasts, I don't know, 20, 40, 50 years because it's built on rock. On, on the, the ground in, in the mountains of North Carolina is stone. And so when you build a road, it just stays there. But out, now down east, it's a different story. When you lay asphalt in eastern North Carolina, you're basically laying asphalt on top of sand. And over time, as that asphalt sits on the sand, things start to wiggle and move, and those roads buckle and crumble. And you have to get the, the truck. Have y'all seen the truck? It's in my neighborhood. It comes down and there's a pothole and it squirts the tar down in the hole and then the rocks on top of it. It's fascinating to watch. But they have to repair the roads all the time and that takes taxpayer money and they were talking about all that stuff. But the point that he made is that the quality, the endurance of a road depends upon the foundation that's beneath it. A road will last when it's built on rock. It will not last when it's built on sand. The passage that we have before us today is getting us to consider, it's pushing us to consider what is underneath us. I think when Paul wrote this chapter, this letter to the Corinthian church, he was asking them to consider what's underneath them. Because his point is the same as the road construction guy. The thing that matters is what's underneath you. We're going to look at foundations, two foundations uh, this morning. And what what I want us to look at First is the foundation of the Christian church. And then I want us to look at the foundation of the Christian life. And I hope that we get a sense of what really matters by thinking about what's underneath us. So first, the foundation of the Christian church. And we're going to get into that by thinking about and looking at what the foundation of the Christian church is not. Because that's where... Paul went when he wrote this letter. See, the Corinthians, 
the Corinthian church that this letter was written to uh, was a pretty impressive church. They were pretty impressive people. Uh, they were, to stick within the metaphor, they were building, the church that they were building was like a really impressive road. It looked great. Uh, the people in the church were full of knowledge. They valued good preaching, and they had good preachers. They valued prophecy, and they had prophets who were saying true things about God in their midst. At this church in Corinth, there were miracles happening. Spiritual gifts were obvious and evident. People saw people speaking in tongues. And this was a church that looked very impressive. We don't have a record of this, but one can imagine that down the road in the Thessalonian church, those folks might have been looking over at Corinth and saying to each other, I wish our church was a little bit more like that. They got some good preaching over there. This is an impressive looking church. And when Paul wrote to this impressive looking church, he exhorted them to hold up a minute and to look at what was underneath all of that impressive stuff that they were doing. Paul's message to this church was the impressive stuff that y'all are doing, a lot of it is built not on love, but on ambition, on, uh, on accomplishments. Your church is about a lot of activity, but it is lacking a foundation that will last. He gets at this by talking about what's going to happen to all of the stuff that they value, right? In in verse 8, he starts, as for prophecies, they're going to pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And what he is saying when he says this is that right now, uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on in our midst. There's a lot of ministry happening, but there's a time coming when Jesus is coming back And he's going to bring this story, this drama that we're experiencing, he's going to bring it to its conclusion. And when that happens, the perfect is going to come. And all of the drama that's playing out in front of us, the ambition of this church, the accomplishments of this church, all of this activity is going to seem very small. It's going to seem insignificant. When Jesus comes and we see him face to face. He says it's going to be like this. He uses this image. Right now, this present age, it's like the church is a little, a little kid, a little child. And when Jesus comes back, it's going to be like this child that knows a little bit and does some stuff is going to grow up and be what Jesus wants it to be. He's going to bring us to perfection, to completion, to maturity And when he does, we're going to look back on what was going on in our midst back in, you know, 35 AD or 2018. We're going to look back on these times and everything's going to be small. 
One commentator who was writing on this passage said that when we are in glory with Jesus, when the story of redemption has come to its end, we're going to look back on these times and it's going to be like when you go back to your elementary school. You ever done that? When you show up to the first day of kindergarten at your elementary school, that place looks big and scary, right? You don't know it. It's way bigger than your house, which is where you've spent your whole life up to this point. And you get dropped off there and it's overwhelming. And it stays that way in our mind. But when we go back as adults, we're like, this is it? This place is tiny. Very unimpressive. That's what Paul is trying to get us in the Corinthian church to see about the life of their church. That the stuff that they put so much value in actually isn't as impressive as they think. And ultimately, it will not endure. He sums this up at the end of the passage in verse 13 when he says, So now, faith, hope, and love abide. In this present age, the church has faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love matters the most. That's what it is. That's the foundation upon which the Christian church must be built. Love is foundational. What does that mean for us? Sitting here in Winterville, North Carolina in 2018. This means that we cannot build our church on dynamic preaching. This is a temptation in our culture. It won't last. It'll pass away. We cannot build a church on solid theology, as important as that is, it's not enough. We cannot build our church on an evangelism program as important, as fundamental as evangelism is to the Christian life and to the mission of the church. That's not what you can build. The activity is not what we can build a church on. We must not. We must not build our church on the hope of a downtown presence. A program is never going to sustain a church. It will not endure. Only love will endure. Only love. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples. Before, he said, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Before he said that, he said this to them. This is in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is what the church must be built on. Love must be at its root 
Love must be at the bottom. If we build our church on anything else, it will crumble. The same principle holds true in marriage. Some of us have seen this and experienced it in, uh, in terrible ways. Uh, love must be at the foundation of a marriage. It's, you can build a marriage on something else, but it won't endure. Shanae, my wife, was in a small group uh, years ago in a different town. There were about eight women in the small group. I believe it was eight women. And they were talking about their lives and their stories. And they were talking about their families. And it came out, and they couldn't believe it, that seven out of the eight women in that small group had parents who had separated when their youngest child was graduating from high school. Seven out of eight separated when the youngest, when, when the task, when the activity of child rearing was done, there was no more marriage. Contrast that with my parents. They're here this morning. I didn't tell them I was going to do this. They drove 10 hours yesterday to come see me, but mostly their grandchildren. (laughs) I remember multiple times my dad having this conversation with me that went something like this. I love you, but your mom is my priority. I'm going to choose her every time. You know, as a kid who was trying to get something, I didn't like that. But I respected that. My parents are 40 years going strong. Love has endured. Child rearing was not what their marriage was about. Thank God. For our church to grow, for our church to flourish, for our church to endure, it must be built on love. So how do we do that? That's, that's a big task. I'm not just going to leave that out there for you. I'm going to give you how do we do it, all right? We must return and look and see the foundation of the Christian life. The foundation of the Christian church is love. Let's look at the foundation of the Christian life. We see at the very beginning of this passage how Paul starts out. He says, love never ends. And then he goes on to list all of the other stuff that does end. Love, everything else is passing away, but love never ends. What he's trying to push us to see is that the whole of the Christian life is built on the love of God. And it sounds... All right, that sounds, all right, easy enough, easy enough for us to accept. But think about this. That means that the Christian life is not founded on our behavior. Nobody's shocked. We're Presbyterians. We know this. It also means that at the root of the Christian life, Don't cast stones. I'm pretty sure I'm not a heretic. At the root of the Christian life is not faith in Jesus. Because there's something deeper. It means that at the root, at the bottom, at the foundation of the Christian life 
is not the atonement that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Because what is deeper still is the eternal, incorruptible love of God. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus carry out the atonement? It was not because he was obligated to do it. Maybe he was obligated to do it. He was obedient to the Father. But that wasn't at the heart of why he went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross because he loves you. Jesus went to the cross because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit conspired in eternity to save the people that he loves. Love drove Jesus to the cross. Jesus loves you. Think about this. What drew you to faith in Christ? You remember? If you're a Christian, do you remember what drew you to faith in Christ? I remember. I was 19. I was a sophomore in college. In many ways, my life was going just fine. And I was pretty good at making myself look like everything was going fine. But underneath the surface, I was so ashamed. I was ashamed of who I was. There were things about me that I could not control. And I didn't know what to do with that. There were things about me that I knew weren't good. And all I knew how to do with that was to try to cover it up by being good, by being nice. And it wasn't working. And when I was 19 years old, I encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I heard Jesus say, not from a cloud, But I heard Jesus say from preaching of the word and from studying the Bible with my friends, I heard Jesus say, I see you. I know you. I know. I know the stuff about you that nobody else knows because you're too embarrassed to even talk about it. And I love you. God loves me. That changed my life. And it's my belief that if you're here and you're a Christian, that at some point, the theology might have been attractive. There might have been somebody that you really admired who was a Christian that, you, that made you interested in Christianity. But if you're a Christian, at some point, what drew you to believe was when you understood, when you experienced at a heart level that God loves you, That's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. That is the foundation of the Christian life. There's nothing deeper than that. God's love for you is the foundation on which you can build a life that endures. Hal Vaughn, in a lot of ways a normal guy, It's in his 60s. 
He's lived pretty much his whole life in Mississippi. For the past 40 or so Christmases, he spent most Christmases at home with his wife and his family, very comfortable, doing all of the stuff, the presents, the tree, Christmas Eve service, what have you. This year in 2018, Hal Vaughn did something different. Even though this past summer he fell off a ladder and broke his neck, and he just learned how to walk without a cane in November, and even though he, quote, has a great distaste for airports, Hal Vaughn went to the airport on Christmas Eve, and he, he got on an airplane, standby, and he flew from one city to another, and then from that city to another, and from that city to another. Six flights. Christmas Eve, he started this. And he rode on airplanes, crisscrossing the country for three days. He endured long layovers, Lines, security, airport food, getting coughed on by the guy next to you who obviously has the flu. He endured holiday travel hell for three days because his baby girl, Pierce, got a job this past year as as an airline attendant with Delta. And for 25 years, she's been with her family on Christmas. And Hal said, I wasn't going to let this year be any different. So he left his home. He left his wife alone for the first time since he met her. And he endured airports and travel and the whole thing so that he could be with this little girl. National media, y'all might have seen the story. National media picked it up. Pierce Vaughn was quoted in the New York Times as saying, we just love to be together. Jesus didn't leave his home in Mississippi. And he didn't just go through holiday travel hell. Jesus left the throne room of God. And he came into this broken world. And he endured not only life as a human being, he endured hell. For three days he was in the tomb. Because he loves you. And he wants to be with you. If you've experienced that love and you know it to be true, what can you do but to love him back? As we, as we bring this thing down, pardon the pun, for a landing, and we close out this year of thinking about pursuing our first love, let that ring in your heart. Jesus loves you. He loves you. 
Building a life on the love of Christ is to build a life that is beautiful. And come what may, disaster, scorn, or shame, come what may, if you build your life on the love of Christ, you will endure. If we collectively build the life of this church on the love of God, we will build something beautiful and something that will reach Greenville and something that will last forever. That is good news. And let me say this before I close. If you've never known the love of God, even if you've sat in this chair in church services for years and you've heard things that are true, and you might even know that they're true, but you've never experienced his love, don't leave here this morning without knowing that he loves you. I might be young and dumb, but the Bible is old and it's true. God's love for you is real and you can have it. Believe in him and you will be free and you will be full forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have set your love on us. Lord, it's not that we first loved you, but that you first loved us and sent your son to get us. And Lord, you've got us and you're going to have us forever. I pray that that love would mark this church, that we would continue to grow as a people who relish your love. When we, when we repent and believe the gospel over and over again, when we confess our sins, when we gather in small groups, when we invite our neighbors to church, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do it with love for one another in our hearts, which is fed by your great love for us in Christ. We pray that it would be so for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Before you go out from here, I want you to hear God's blessing on you. As you leave 2018 behind and charge in to 2019, go with God's blessing in your mind and on your heart. And remember that it's true not because of the good things about you, but because of everything that's good about Jesus. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Amen. Go in peace.